When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from iLikeYou.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at iLikeYou.com. Now, let's get started. Hi everyone, welcome to Hewitt Home, I'm Tracy Koga. It is the start now to look back on 2021. So we begin with a new show that we created, the Hue Chat Room. It is a version of our Hue virtual chat, but as we know, in 2021, we could finally be together. So I had my very first guest right here on our Hue set. It was the Honorable Rochelle Squires, and we had an incredible conversation, and she shared some of her deep thoughts about family and politics. Well, I am thoroughly excited because, Rochelle, you are the very first guest in person on our Hewitt Home set. So, welcome (laughs) in real life and in real time. I know that we've done a lot of virtual conversations, but I wanted to really invite you here because a lot not only has happened to you in the political ring, but, you know, also through your own personal life, too. So, I really want to reflect on that and how I guess things are with you now because it's always interesting to see how someone handles all mm-hmm. of the ups and downs and, and the turns and twists that life takes you. So congratulations, not only are you Minister of Families but also the Deputy Premier. So my question is what does the Deputy Premier <laughs> all do? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here in your lovely studio and congratulations on successfully keeping your company and your show going through a very challenging time that so many people have been experiencing in our province and around the world. And it's just so great to see entrepreneurial women like yourself succeed. So congratulations. Thank you. It's been a really exciting summer. And I've been very honored to be part of a conversation that I think more women need to be a part of. Uh, Ever since I got into politics and ever since I've been elected, I've tried to use my platform as much as possible to really champion uh, women in in politics and other uh, industries and sectors that are perhaps not uh, dominated by women uh, um, and, in fact, are not even close to um, achieving parity. And politics is certainly one of those mm-hmm. sectors. I've, I've said it before, but it certainly bears uh, repeating. When I got elected, I was the 60th woman in the province's history to ever hold office in the Manitoba legislature in comparison to a, uh, a roughly 800 men who have been elected to the legislature. So we've got a, a, a significant imbalance. And then it gets even smaller when you think about how many women have actually sat around the cabinet table, women who have crafted and drafted 
drafted and debated the, the laws and the regulations that really uh, provide the foundation for our society. And that number is even smaller. I believe it's about 33 or when I was appointed to cabinet, it was about uh, that number. And so we're, we're really seeing that the realm of politics in general has been uh, male dominated and it continues to be right now of course we're we're in an election federally mm -hmm. and we're seeing a lot of women on the ballot and we're seeing some women in leadership positions as well but it, it, it's minor in comparison to the number of men that we're seeing on the ballot and the number of men that we're seeing in the in the leadership uh, positions mm -hmm. uh, leading uh, major parties in in the country and so I'm always excited to be part of a conversation and to just champion um, not only my own career, but, but mm -hmm. for all of those um, other women and um, people who may not feel that their voices are, are reflected in that general conversation. So I was really um, honored to be considered and, and asked to consider running in the leadership contest that is mm -hmm. currently underway uh, to replace uh, former Premier Brian Pallister and to become the new leader of the PC Party of Manitoba as well as uh, the Premier of the province and incredibly humbled to be uh, in a position where I had such support to run in that capacity and I will always carry with me that support and that um, that that just overwhelming sense of gratitude for uh, the, the, the path that I'm on and the people that have made it so for me. And, um, but ultimately I made the decision not to seek the leadership. It wasn't the right time for me, uh, for a variety of reasons. And I think it's important as women that, that we, we listen to and respect that natural calling and that knowing when it's the right time and, and, and maybe not trying to force things that just don't fit. And so for me, it was uh, very clear uh, what my heart was telling me was, wasn't the time for me. Uh, but I am super excited about the fact that there are other uh, leading women in this race and that there's a lot of conversation about, about the women who are uh, seeking the leadership. And so I'm just so thrilled to be um, uh, working in, in with, these, with this, this group of talented women and seeing this very exciting uh, turn of events for the PC Party of Manitoba, because uh, this is the first time in the, in the party's history that we've had uh, not one, but two women who are um, uh, seeking, seeking um, the, the top job. So that's, that's incredibly exciting. Um, after I decided not to seek the leadership, um, and we had uh, an interim uh, premier appointed in Calvin um, Gertson. He'd asked if I would serve as his deputy. Mm -hmm. And what an honor uh, that was. And Calvin is somebody that I have tremendous respect for. And he and I are, uh, we have a long history together. And I think we balance one another out quite significantly because, mm -hmm. you know, he's rural, I'm urban, obviously he's male, I'm, I'm female. Um, he's, he's comes from a very conservative background, mm -hmm. uh, and I am certainly more on the progressive side, uh, in that conservative tent. And so we, we really do balance one another out, uh, quite nicely. And it's an honor to serve in that capacity. 
and uh, that was a, a week, a little, little over a week ago. I know. And uh, so learning what the what the role of the deputy premier is 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 still a work in progress, but it's it's an exciting journey for sure. Oh, well, we're so excited for you. So I am going to open it up to our beautiful Hugh chat room. I've got Charlotte, Rana, and Ali here. So we heard a little bit about uh, Rochelle's journey in this last little while. It's pretty crazy, but I mean, all power to women, I think. What about you, Rana? <laughs> Hi Rochelle, so good to see you. Congratulations. Hi Rana. Um, no, and and uh, you know, and I appreciate your words because uh, they're they're absolutely very powerful. And um, you know, for for those of for everyone, um, I, before I ask a question, uh, you know, Rochelle's support is actually completely transcends all parties. Um, you know, I know for a fact for myself, I know that she's been a, an amazing source of support, uh, an amazing ear. And I know that I even had messaged her and said, I hope that you're ready for leadership because I just, uh, I just think you're, you're an incredible, um, you're an incredible friend and you're just an incredible, um, example of the type of leadership and the type of support once women rise to that position, um, how much that support means to people. Um, but I'm just really curious, you know, first off, I think it's just a, you know, and I think uh, Tracy touched upon it a little bit. Can you talk about more about, um, you know, just your thought process um, when you were deciding, okay, you know, like this is not the time for me uh, to, to run in this leadership. And, you know, I definitely acknowledge, um, you know, Heather and Shelly as well for, for putting their names forward. It's, it's, it's really amazing to see. Um, but I was so curious about you and as somebody who was like, I wonder if she's going to do it. I'm just, I was so curious to see, you know, what, like, what, what was your thought process? And I think, you know, the answer is probably going to be quite powerful for a lot of women who <clears throat> are either jumping in to an election, um, at any level. Um, but, you know, I think that we all probably have very similar thought conversations in our head before we jump into something. So that that's kind of my question for you today. So I really believe in always listening to your heart and your gut and and giving that uh, the 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 priority in in our lives when making big decisions and that was a shift for me when I was uh, younger and and more junior in my career I would always go around and ask people what do you think I should do do you think I should uh, take this job or do you think I should do this or do you think I should do that and and when we do that it can create a lot of confusion and it and it uh, creates a reliance on other people's opinion. And I'm very fortunate and very privileged to be in a position today where um, I've learned to trust my inner voice and I've learned to listen to that inner voice. And I, I've always been um, someone who is intuitive and, and very goal orientated. And I think, what are my goals that I want to accomplish right here, right now. And I feel very strongly about um, some of the issues that are that have been uh, really brought to the forefront in this pandemic. And that's, uh, you know, dealing with trauma, dealing with mental illness, dealing with the, the core of, of some of, uh, of addictions mm -hmm. and other untreated trauma and really opening up a dialogue about sexual violence and that those ongoing impacts on not just the individual, but on society. 
So that's what I'm most passionate about right now. And my job in, in the Department of Families is really allowing me to um, have those conversations with people who can make a difference. And so I don't want to give that up. I love working in the Department of Families. I was only appointed on January the 5th. And um, I'm, I'm just doing some of that work right now that is leading me into a place that excites me a lot. And um, my, my voice was just telling me, stay, stay the course. There's work that I have to do in, in families. There's uh, ways for me to contribute where I'm at and to expand upon that. And so that was really what led to my decision to not enter the leadership race, which I know uh, really requires a focus on uh, a variety of issues in the province. And our province is in such a, a unique position, um, but a, a very dire position that requires mm -hmm. solid leadership with somebody who is going to show up every day dedicated to not just these specific issues that I've highlighted, but uh, myriad issues that, that are, are going to require attention. What are we doing with our education system? How are we getting our kids back on track? What are we doing in healthcare? How are we going to enhance ICU capacity? And how are we going to um, really address um, the, the fiscal situation that we find ourselves in? And, and so many other, uh, other important initiatives that, um, that I'm, I'm excited to support um, and to see a, a good number, there's three people to my knowledge right now that are seeking the leadership that are willing to put in that focus and, and have that overview, that broad um, uh, focus. And, and allow, that allows me to continue with my uh, very specific heart-led heart focus. Yes, and it is a learning pro process too, right? I mean, you, you learn from others. So uh, definitely, uh, you know now that Rochelle is very passionate. <laughs> and I guess that's the reason why she didn't step up. But um, Charlotte now, I, she talked a lot about things that touch you, you know, ring true to your heart. Addictions, mental health, mental well-being, family. What do you have to say? to say you know what so much that Rochelle was saying was just resonating with me because I spent all of my time working with families and supporting them um, it, with their mental health and congratulations on your deputy mini, uh, minister I mean that is awesome way to go or deputy premier excuse me uh, girl power all the way um, but my first question for you Rochelle today is really focusing on you know your statistics you're talking about 60 women have only held you know office in Manitoba out of and 800 men. There's so few of you, um, and when I say that, women in office, um, I'm all about peer support, and I'm just wondering what do you do and what um, to support all the other women um, at the ledge, like, you know, holding offices. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just wondering what that looks like uh, for you as well as the other women. Oh, that's certainly a great question and one that I think about a lot, and, and I love to see when we have um, uh, young, younger female uh, employees coming into the legislature, uh, whether they're coming in as, as interns or employees. I think what's so important is that we create an environment that is respectful and harassment-free and conducive to um, career laddering. 
and so I, I try to to do that in every circumstance that I can and as well as being a, a peer support for my colleagues right now that are in the legislature and and one of the things that I I find very unique is is that um, sort of collegial environment extends beyond party lines and Ron and I have had conversations about this before um, where uh, you know I consider Ron a, a good friend and I consider people who are certainly not um, affiliated with the party that I'm associated with to be good friends and I love that about um, about where I'm at in life and where these amazing women are that I get to work with are in in life and I, I think that um, being able to go beyond party lines or go beyond ideology and just just really focus on humanity and focus on our our common goal mm -hmm. of raising awareness and uh, creating a platform and a voice for people who have been marginalized, whether that's uh, you know you know because they of their gender or um, their sexual orientation or their race. Those are issues that we need to break down those barriers and build a more inclusive society. And I'm just thrilled to have those conversations with people and to, to count among um, uh, my friends, uh, people who are wanting to be on that same journey where we're just breaking barriers and, and, and getting stuff done together. So it is a good time for women in power in the, at the ledge? Or? Uh, you know, it's, it, it's a good time in in respect of our history mm -hmm. so if you go back um, 20 years there wasn't even 10 years there wasn't anti-harassment policies that exist today those are relatively new if you go back um, 30 years you know there 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 weren't um, a gender diverse group you would walk into a, a minister's office and the only women that would be in the office would be um, you know, perhaps not the decision makers. Mm -hmm. And um, I would never want to disparage any of those roles. I've had those roles myself and they're, they're wonderful and they offer an opportunity, uh, great op opportunities. But we know women need to be at that decision making table as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have found as many women at those decision making tables and certainly not 30 or 40 years ago. So it's a good time, relatively speaking. There are challenges, and I know Ron and I have talked about that, um, and, and I know Ron has spoken publicly about those challenges where when you're a woman and you put yourself out there, there are certainly um, unintended consequences and things that we may have to deal with that uh, other, others don't. Um, I, fortunately, am, am so incredibly privileged that I have probably not have to deal with things to the extent that I know Ron has, Ron has spoken to. Does that mean things have gotten better in the last, um, you know, six or seven years since, since Rana was in a leadership position? I, I'd like to think so because mm -hmm. since then and now we've had that Me Too movement. We've had awareness. We've shone a spotlight on that dirt and that sewer um, that, that uh, can sometimes just take over um, certain social media platforms and we're calling it out mm -hmm. and so I think there's less of it but I'd be very interested to hear if the panel agrees mm -hmm. with me uh, that there there's less of that today than than mm -hmm. there was five years ago all right Allie 
you can be first up. <laughs> so first of all, congratulations. Um, I have to thank you on a, you know, on a general level and then again on a personal level because I did my internship and I did my internship with you. So um, I have never felt so supported um, and encouraged and inspired through that. And uh, I have to say, since I got really into politics, um, just after university, I haven't seen such a clear area and such a, an area where I could feel comfortable, say if something happened to me when I was doing my internship or something happened to another individual, you know, I've never had a second thought that I wouldn't be able to approach somebody about it. Whereas I'm not too sure that would be the case five years ago. And right now, I think more than ever, not only to go to another woman, but to also be able to go to another man in office and be able to speak about it. I think that's so much more common right now and more and more available and more comforting now than it would have been five years ago. So I have to say, I think so. And I definitely agree. But that's just coming from my own standpoint. And do you have a question, Allie, for Rochelle? <laughs> I do. So, you know, I think... Uh, a lot of times people think that uh, politics is something that you're either coming down from another family member or you're, you're taking on leadership because it's so big in your family and it's so talked about. Whereas you talk about grassroots issues and you talk about your own personal life and your lived experience. So I kind of wonder what you would tell a young woman, maybe like myself, who's had lived experience in issues um, you know, like mental illness and like sexual violence. What would you tell them and how important it is to bring these issues and this experience into office? Well, that's a great question. And I'll never forget about a decade ago when I was um, at the bank uh, renewing my mortgage with my husband. And uh, I was seeking office for the first time. I, I believe I was a declared candidate, but I hadn't, uh, I didn't hold office. And I was just chatting with the lady and she said, you know, I once thought about running in politics, but um, I'm, I'm divorced and I just don't think that that would be um, something that would be acceptable. And I was taken aback about that because I believe that we need to make space for all different families and all different walks of life and all different experiences. And, and I've just always been somebody that um, leads with my heart and, and speaks, um, sp speaks what's on my mind and, um, and, and not um, turn from my past. And I think when we try to deny our, ourselves, we, that's where trauma continues to, to live on. And so I made a conscious decision when I got elected to, to be true to who I am and, um, and, and not worry about the consequences. Like if I talk about the fact that I'm a survivor of sexual violence, is that going to make me less electable? If I talk about my struggles as, as, as a mom and, and as a wife and, and I have a blended family, my husband and I were both, um, uh, we both have uh, previous mm -hmm. marriages and we came together 12 years ago, 13 years ago, pardon me, and we have five children and a blended family is very complex. And I thought, you know, if I can't talk about my experiences in a second marriage and in a blended family, um, then uh, because if that makes me unelectable, I just don't I, I just don't um, I, I don't buy that. And if I talk about the fact that I have had depression in the past and I have had um, you know, struggles with my mental health and that I, these are the things that I have to do on a regular basis to maintain my good mental health. Um, I, I just, 
I don't think that those things make us unelectable. I think they make us uh, better suited for office. And I, I think we should come to office as our true genuine selves because we're representing a diverse community. And um, I, I take that uh, into consideration on a regular basis. I represent 22,000 people right here in Riel, and everybody has different experiences. And so I think the fact that I'm open about my various, uh, my, my different experiences makes me more relatable, or at least I would hope that my constituents would feel that. Well, and as you're just a perfect example. Once you share your story, the ball starts to roll, and people say, oh, that happened to me, or oh, I've been feeling like that. And it just becomes easier for the conversation to start. Ron, I'm going to go back to you and get your thoughts um, on that other comment that Rochelle made when I asked, so is it a good time for women? Yeah, and I, you know, it's, it's, it's a great question. Um, I, it's interesting for me because I'm, I'm watching, so I'm kind of on the outside looking in. Um, and there are things that are, that we should find very encouraging. Um, and some of those things are, you know, the fact that there are so many women supporting other women. Um, and I can see it, I can see it being out of it, that I could, like, I still, I still see it. And I've been on enough panels and enough conversations uh, with, with various, you know, elected officials um, that you could kind of see it. And that was definitely not something that was available five years ago. Like it just was, um, everything was kind of under the rug. Um, it was a sign of weakness to reach out. Um, you were told constantly to not be authentic, act this way. Um, and I don't see that. And I think that those are really important, um, important things to acknowledge because um, that means we have been moving further and we are moving kind of, you know, it's slow and steady, um, but it's completely not what it was five years ago and and like Rochelle said you know like when you start shining a light on these awful awful you know attacks or whether it's like emotional or verbal or social media or sexual or whatever it is once you start shining a light on that and people are able to say speak their truth um you know it, it's empowering so I, I i and i can see that empowerment in, in a lot of the women who are elected right now um, obviously, there's a long way to go. Um, we all recognize that. We all acknowledge that. Um, everyone keeps working towards it. But, um, but just to answer that question, you know, um, you know, and I think that we have to give credit to those women who are sitting in those elected positions um, because they are totally breaking that mold. So they've they've walked in, uh, and they have changed that narrative themselves um, against all odds. So I think that. Um, any woman who's been elected in those positions, like in the last, what, two elections, I think that they deserve like a, for sure, like an applaud and an acknowledgement because, uh, you know, for people like me who have shied away from it just out of fear, like literally crippling fear, um, I'm, you know, I'm not scared anymore. Like I would definitely not be afraid anymore. I would be like, all right, let's do this, right? Um, and feel confident and, and know that I could just be me, um, you know, and that's, that's, Pretty, it's pretty empowering. It's pretty impressive. So, so that's you know, it's, it's exciting. It's good stuff. Oh, it is. Mm -hmm. um, Charlotte, uh, Rochelle was talking a lot about uh, the things that she felt strongly about, and you know, especially sharing her story. She thought that was really important. Is that important to you as a candidate? Do you look 
when you look at the candidates there, are you looking for someone that has all of this rhetoric and their programs and they're going to do this and that? Or is it someone that maybe shares a little bit of personality or a personal story? You know, I have a lot of respect for Rochelle coming forward and sharing bits of her life um, and her story, um, just bringing that up. And, and it's that part around, um, you know, people hearing your story and, and seeing where you've come and, and they're thinking, hey, I can do it too. So thank you for that. But also for personalizing it and saying, hey, you know, these are some of the things that are passionate to me because this was part of, you know, my story. Um, and the impact it had on my life. So I thank you for that as well. Um, I, um, is it important for candidates to address that? I think so, I really do. I, I think it allows um, you to see the realness of a person mm -hmm. and uh, what's inside. Um, Rochelle, you talked a lot about trusting your gut or your inner voice and uh, and that's what I do too. So when I see candidates who are just to there's nothing there you know i wonder you know what else is there are they not telling so um you know i'm really paying attention to what others are saying in this election like the other three candidates to make my my decision um because i am a conservative i will say that um and uh um i just think that if you keep I'm glad you're still in families. I'm glad you're, you've got your passions and your projects ahead of you. They align with a lot of things that are important to me too. So I think there is a reason why you're still in, in office in the Department of Families. I'm glad that you're tackling some of the mental health because I was scared it was all gonna end up in that, that one um, side, but it's families, it's, there's just so much going on with families and everything has to do with mental health if you think about it. So it just can't be one department. So I'm glad that that you're tackling that as well too. And uh, I think there'll be another time for you to make a choice down the road, but uh, I'm pleased where you are right now. So thank you. Thank you. And so Ali, you're a big proponent and advocate for human rights. So moving into this election, this federal election, I mean, I guess it is mentioned, but I don't think it's really mentioned enough. How important is that for you? Um, I think it's incredibly important. I mean, it's important every day, all the time, every year, regardless if there's an election happening. But I think uh, when there is an election happening and when uh, leadership needs to be shown, I think uh, more than ever, especially after these couple of years that we've had that have just been so disheartening for many people, I think it's incredibly important to have these at our forefront. So I know a lot of people right away go to, what are we going to do for the bigger things, right? The economy in certain different areas. But it's so important to have that level of humanity, even just for yourself and giving people that level of comfort too. And I just have to say, I mean, for myself, I speak very candid about my own mental health and my own my own life. And I've had many people say to me, you know, one day you're going to run in politics and this is all going to be dirty laundry. But again, to what Rochelle was saying, I don't think that makes you unelectable. I think it actually makes you so much more um, more electable and for myself, too. So human rights need to be at a forefront. And a lot of people will say it shouldn't be something that uh, government should be meddling in. But when it really comes down to that at the end of the day, it makes you more of a human and it makes you more of somebody who's personable instead of just a, instead of just a commercial, instead of somebody who's just reading what they want to hear, it makes you more of an individual. So it's incredibly important for me. Oh, 
Now, is there anything else that you want to ask Rochelle? Any of the ladies? If I could yeah. just add one thing uh, to, to what Allie was saying, and, and congratulations, Allie, for everything that you're doing, and just such an impressive young lady. And I have no doubt that someday you'll run for office and, and make a great elected leader. One of the conversations that I don't think is happening often enough is how um, we've got the centralization of power whether it be in the House of Commons or in legislatures all throughout the, 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 the country, where we see um, power is really concentrated at that upper level. And it's really important. I would say it's more important than ever to be looking for candidates who are willing to um, challenge status quo and to make um, make uh, uh, statements, whether that be behind closed doors, which is often the most preferred route when you're in government to have those arguments behind closed doors or make them public when when necessary. But to, to always remember that you're representing your constituents and that you're working for your constituents. And it's really easy, I would say, to to get lost in the House of Commons or to get lost in the legislature and think that you're um, and to get disconnected with your constituents and to really um, feel stifled by that concentration of power and to forget that you have a voice. And I think it's so important that we remind all of our all of our candidates or look for candidates who are willing to always remember that they have a voice and to always remember what's at stake. That when they're sitting around that table, they're not there to always agree with the position that's being presented. They're there to advocate for their community. And, um, and that's, that's one of the things that I uh, try to hold dear and, and try to have that as a guiding principle for myself and something that I, I uh, recommend for any, anyone else who's getting into politics to, to be mindful. Who, who are, um, who's the real boss? And that's our constituents. And to, to have that voice. And it's, it's, it's tough sometimes. <laughs> And as you know, I'm speaking with a group of, of uh, influential women, we've all been in that situation where it would be so much easier to just sit back and be quiet and just <laughs> to let the status quo roll over our heads and to just be quiet. But those days are done. We have to use our voice. We have to dig deep and, and stand up for what we believe in. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's challenging and it's hard work. But it's so important, and that's where that that um, sort of network is so important that you can fall back on on a group of women that you trust that can help give you that confidence and that courage. But um, again, I, I just think that it's incredibly important to look for candidates who are willing to um, speak up and and follow their own uh, their own intuition. So I just want to ask, what was the toughest thing you had to do? Oh gosh. Well, I, I mean, I did speak up in, in July um, about uh, my own viewpoints on uh, the residential schools and, mm -hmm. uh, and I believe that Canada and, and all Canadians need to have the courage to really accept our past and to look at the ugly, ugliness of systemic racism in this country and to acknowledge the, the devastating um, impacts that uh, f that decisions have had on on uh, particularly our um, you know racialized community mm. and particularly indigenous uh, Canadians, and uh, so 
so there, there have been times where I thought, you know what, I'm just going to step outside of the lines and speak my mind. And I, I did so with confidence and, and I'm very happy I did that. It was something that was really heavy on my heart. And, yeah, and important to you. Mm -hmm. And that's the main thing. Yeah. So anyways, do any of you have any more questions to wrap things up? Can I just uh, jump in real quick? So, and I 100% like love everything you just said. Um, you know, and even it's not, it's a centralization, it's a decentralization of power, but it's also uh, choosing leaders, uh, choosing leaders who you know um, are willing to hear their cabinet and willing to hear their elected officials. Um, so it kind of goes both ways too, because it's this towing of party line. It's a towing of party mm -hmm. policy and lines uh, that actually is probably the most detrimental to the betterment of society, uh, right? Because we elect people of all different all different places, all different life experiences. They view um, the world through very different lenses, depending on their life experiences. I mean, if you're going to elect them, um, and you know, and I've talked about this a lot, you know, like let's not just be putting token token people as candidates in places and we see it happen all the time and it's it, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of sad right because you'll put them in as the token person but when it comes time for their expertise and their voices and their life experience and their knowledge to be acknowledged acknowledged to their leadership sometimes that's where the issue um, issue really becomes because they're not able to really voice it because you have a you know, a leader who's maybe unwilling to listen. So it goes both ways, but I 100% I appreciate everything you said, Rochelle. It's bang on. Charlotte, anything? I just encourage you to keep doing what you're doing for families. And uh, I'm always around for a conversation what that looks like in my world. But uh, I'm like, you're, where you're focused on, super important. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, please. Aww. And Allie? Allie? Yeah, once again, thank you so much. And honestly, this conversation is just, it's made me excited for the future. It's made me excited for your future, for Manitoban's futures, and for women's future just in general. So this this is a conversation that I hope keeps happening, um, not just maybe in the legislature, but also just for individuals. So I couldn't thank you enough. And you're always a big inspiration to me. Thank Aww. you. Well, thank you all ladies for joining us. And uh, Rochelle, it's always been a pleasure. And we're all behind you on this crazy journey and <laughs> supporting you all the way. And like Charlotte said, there will be a time. Thank you. Much love to all of you. You're inspiring women. And I'm just uh, really honored to call you all my friends. Thank you. Thank you.
Welcome back to Hugh at Home. Well, now we head out into the international music scene with BC's own Alex Kuba. He's won accolades all over the world, but he still calls Canada home. I want to give a big hello, a friendly Winnipeg, Manitoba hello to Alex. And it's so good to have you here. And uh, it's pretty cool. You're in Smithers, BC. No forest fires. The summer has been great. And I guess a little thing called COVID and the pandemic have uh, kind of, I guess, changed the way we do things, and of course you. But it hasn't really stopped you because you've released some amazing new music. And uh, I want to talk about, though, first, your wardrobe. Something that you got nominated or put into a museum. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a, it's a crazy piece of news. Because it's the first time, it's the first time that I see myself. At the beginning, I have to be honest with you, I don't know. I didn't know how to take it. Is this a cool thing or is, is this meaning that I'm getting old? I don't know what it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, pretty cool. The Grammy Museum in LA, the city of Los Angeles, has now the outfit that I wore to the Latin Grammys last year when I performed. And it's going to be on display there on an exhibition for a whole year. Wow. So I think I'm going to miss my, my, my white leather Converse shoes. I think I'm going to miss my fedora hat. I'm going to miss all of it. I'm going to have to wait for a year <laughs> to come back to me. Oh, well, you're in some pretty heavy company with uh, Lionel Richie, I hear, and Taylor Swift. So, hey, you must, yeah. have, done, you must have done something right. <laughs> I think what I what I've done maybe what I've done right is to um, is to first of all to come to live uh, in such a beautiful place as where I live, you know, um, Smithers, BC. That allows me to focus and to concentrate and, and to forge a forward, you know, a career of uh, meaning and dignity and and uh, and all of that, you know, because uh, music is very deep for me. Music is. It's my life, you know, I take it very seriously. I make people dance and have fun with my music. I know. It comes from a serious place. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's, you know? yeah, but that's Cuba in you. And I want to know, how did you manage to come to Smithers, B.C.? Well, I, uh, I, I moved to Victoria first. Uh, I think that if I, if, I would, if I would have moved from Cuba all the way to Smithers, B.C., I don't think I would have stand a chance here. To, to to last a winter, to be quite honest. It was a, a crescendo thing for me. It was a, a work in, pro, you know, in progress. It was quite the process. Uh, but we spent four years in Victoria. I came to Canada the first time in 1995. I was the bass player for uh, one of my father's band. And while in Canada on tour with that band, I met uh, my wife in, in Vancouver. She was going to university in Vancouver. Simon Fraser, and uh, that was 1995. That same year, we got married, uh, and then life, be you know, began to change for me. She spent a couple of years in Cuba, living with me, and then we decided to come, and we went to Victoria first for four years, um, and then after that, uh, our family was already, you know, um, big. I guess you know, had two two kids so far uh, at that point. I mean. And uh, we decided to, we needed, because I was I was beginning to travel a lot, and she was staying behind all the time by herself 
So we needed to either go to Cuba to be with my family or come to Sweden to be with her family. And and at the same time, of course, made, uh, you know, have the kids uh, grow in a, in, a, in a family environment, you know. And this, uh, Smithes was was the, the destination. I think it was my decision. She would have been happy with going to Cuba. She loves Cuba. I love Cuba too. But for me, it was important to, to remain in North America. I had something inside of me creatively telling me that from Cuba, I was going to be just a Cuban artist. From Canada, from this place, I uh, I I have become global, you know, which is the energy of my music. I don't see differences in people. I see all of us together. I see music as a unifying vehicle, and, and that is important uh, today more than ever. So. Oh, and that, yeah, leads me to the next question. With all of this, Alex, and being in isolation, and a lot of musicians have been writing and wanting to get back to performing, but again, it's having that voice, right? And mm -hmm. you do it beautifully between speaking in your native language and then singing in English, and you've always maintained a real passion for where you, you grew up. So why is it that when young musicians right away they have to find their genre. They have to find their sound and, and what that means and everything like that. Um, for you, was that always was that something in your mind? It doesn't seem to be because now you say that you're global. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is um, something that uh, sometimes is a little a little difficult for me to explain, and and even more difficult for some people to understand uh, because people hear Cuba. What, what do you mean? Uh, uh, you know, they, people seem to know, uh, you know, that they know a lot about Cuba and stuff like that. And when we talk about music, you know, most people know that Cuba is, is quite strong musically, you know, and, and it's famous in the world for its music. But uh, when I say globally, and, and, and when I put it that way, what I mean is, um, and this is the part that sort of, you know, confuses people. I gained full musical identity in Canada. I when I when I was in Cuba, I wasn't a singer. Cuba, I have never opened my mouth to sing. Yeah. The the very few times I did it, um, I wasn't comfortable because my voice is not Cuban. The sound of my voice is not Cuban per se. Uh, Cuban voices have different sounds. They they are loud as a trumpet, for example, to be able to command a 16 or 18 piece band, you know, and the, the loud voice has to be there. I have a soulful voice, which is not seen often in Cuban music and even even more in Latin music. Mm -hmm. So kind of allow me to discover that voice. And once I discovered, because I had nobody, I didn't have the pressure of, of, of a strong culture telling me, no, you're different. No, you're different. You're different. You, you know what I mean? I found a huge amount of space, and um, because no, you know, most people don't speak Spanish in Canada. That never shut me down. That actually, I always saw the language as 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 um, a, an incentive for me to to become better, to be better all the time. Because I always, some, something told me from early in my career in Canada that if your music, if what you do is 
exceptional, it is beautiful, it will pierce the, the barrier of language like you have no idea. And so I, while I didn't have a Latin market right in front of me, I had a market that didn't understand what I was saying. So I took it as, okay, this is the world. I should aim at the world globally, musically, you know, what I do. And that's 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 what I, what I mean. Meaning, meaning I don't, you know how sounds and and even topics, uh, they have an aim culturally on on you know in, in different societies. You know, like um, all music done in Miami, for example, has to be rhythmical because people only like dancing, or most people only like dancing. You know what I mean? I like I like it all, and Canada allows me to express myself however I want. My only goal is always to make it beautiful. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> and that you do. So let's talk about your new album, Mendo, and, and the meaning behind that, and I guess the music that is in this Absolutely. One. What, what a year. What a year uh, <laughs> that is, it doesn't seem to be quite over yet. But for us, for creators, for musicians, I think uh, it was a moment to really realize how deep it runs, you know, in our veins, and how important it is, and how much it keeps keeps us alive, you know. Mm-hmm. For whoever took that for granted, for granted, uh, got to come face to face with it last year, you know, and say, "Oh my God, thanks God for for this song that I'm just writing now." You know, it's giving me the inspiration that that I need, you know, to keep going. Um, I got I received a phone call from CBC Radio, um, Vancouver, last year right after Bill Withers passed away. That mm-hmm. was at, at, almost at the beginning of the pandemic. It was the end of March, mm-hmm. oh, at the beginning. And they were, the phone call was to ask me if I would like to participate in a tribute show to, um, to uh, Bill Withers. They were putting together. Mm-hmm. And I, believe, I tell you, um, I was coming off a really kind of... Um, intense moments because I had a I had a, a long tour uh, in the US that came down you know crumbling that canceled completely and I was like oh I was so looking forward to do it anyway it took me a couple of days to answer th- that request until I, uh, until I said yeah okay let's do it but the, requ- the request they, they wanted me they needed us they needed everybody that they were inviting they needed us to record ourselves Mm-hmm. and send the song because that you know everything was shut down right and i said okay so i set up my studio i do I didn't find a better place than my my living room <laughs> <laughs> to set up my my studio and the way i went i did record just the two of us oh. which actually just hit a one million stream streams on spotify about three days ago oh my goodness and it, blow, it, it blows my mind because it's only one guitar and one voice, you know, and I love that. But, but anyway, um, I say yes, and I, I, am I ever happy that I say yes? And when I sent them the song, they loved it. And I got an email saying that even some member of their staff, even, they even cried when they heard the song. It was a very fragile moment. Everybody was like, nobody knew what was going to happen. So we were all very emotional, I think. Um, and that was all, all it took for me to begin creating and I didn't stop and slowly start coming this album and I started writing songs like no you know like like crazy 
and reaching out to other you know singers because I ended up having five collaborations on the album mm -hmm. inter international. But I think everybody was in such a, a a mood, an emotional mood, that creativity was the perfect thing you know to let all of that out, right? So they all got back to me immediately, saying yes, yes, you know, and the album put together itself quite quite easily, I think. Uh, but yeah, it's an album. Uh, at some point of the uh, of the creation of the album, which I titled Mendo, and it was released May twenty first. I, I realized that I didn't want uh, the album to be deemed the album that came out of the pandemic, you know, because I, that was going to make me, I don't know, sometime in the future, maybe not like the album. And I, I love the classic appeal of my music. I like the fact that I can go back and listen to my first album and still love it, you know, because I am a classic artist. I have that taste in music. And so I said, you know what? That is not going to be pandemic anywhere on this album. This is about life and how precious life is, and let's enjoy and unity and all and hope, you know. So I uh, that's that's the angle I gave it. Uh, Mendo, for those of you that want to know what Mendo means, mm -hmm. Mendo, Mendo is an Afro-Cuban word uh, that I found very meaningful for the moment. Uh, it's a very deep word with a lot of layers, anything that has ability, uh, unmistakable talent, that has um, unexplainable qualities to it, has Mendo in it. Mendo is something magical. It only comes from the soul, wow. you know? Mm -hmm. And I saw, I, I thought it was the, the most appropriate thing or term to, to title my new album. Wow. Yeah. So beautiful. Oh, so I know Thank that you. I was hoping that you could do an acoustic, but I know that, you know, things were a little rushed, but is there a chance that you could? Yeah, sure, why not? I just have to find that. Would you give me just a second? I need to yeah. find my uh, cable. Sarah, what is the case for the, in the pocket of the case, that is my cable in there? Unless I, uh... while I'm talking to you, I'm gonna tune up. Okay. Where in Winnipeg are you? Uh, we are in Winnipeg, Manitoba, the capital of Manitoba. Right in the city, nice. I think you were supposed to do a show just before or, and then everything shut down. Yeah. I think at the Park Theater, Alex. At the Park Theater, yeah. Um, from the new album, we can do, we can do, um, Hay un disparo de luz en tu sonrisa que se apodera de mí como la brisa que enseña la sensación 
del movimiento que no conoce el temor ni el sufrimiento no es un eclipse del sol no es un pretexto no tiene acento ni voz le sobra el tiempo Asciende desde el amor, el más honesto. Me enseña todo el honor, sin ser su dueño. Tu amor y tu amistad, me significan más, que todo cuanto puedo existir y que sabía yo de amar sin condición de sentimientos libres para te he visto de azul en mi presencia ningún error te dejó en la tormenta aumentas tu desnudez con inocencia me has hecho el hombre en que soy sin darme cuenta tu amor y tu amistad me significan más que todo cuanto pueda existir y que sabía yo de amar sin condición de sentimientos libres para vos. de sentimientos libres para So the Hive is a climbing and fitness facility, so we're bouldering only, which means no ropes or harnesses. We use mats for protection. But the four pillars of our business are climbing, education, health and wellness, and community, and those aspects all kind of come together to create like a five-star climbing experience. We want to give a very special thank you to all of our guests on today's show and leave you with this question. What was the best moment for you in 2021? We want to know, so send us an email to hello at ilikehugh.com or you can message us on Facebook and Instagram at ilikehew. But for now, stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time on Hugh at Home.
for listening. This has been a production of iLikeHugh.com. Podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.